0: The show. show! You have been. all
1: made it
0: through the, the damn You up. have all made it, made it, made it. Coming to you from the X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the
1: John of All Trades Podcast, episode 278. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us, glad to have you back once again, and good lord, what a show I have on tap for you. Seriously, I am thrilled to bring this one to you, it is Chris DeMakes, co-lead singer and guitarist for Less Than Jake. Less Than Jake, for the love of God, I know this is my second Less Than Jake show. I had Vinny Fiorello on the show in 2018. That was an amazing show, one of my favorites of all time, as we sat in the warmth of of downtown Grand Junction, before their awesome show with Face to Face. This one is a little different, because we're still in the midst of a pandemic, but that doesn't mean I felt any less warmth doing this particular episode, because Chris is just about the nicest guy maybe I've ever interviewed. He was exceedingly generous with his time. He offered thoughtful, insightful answers to the questions I asked him. And when we got on, literally, we start the Zoom call... I'm the administrator here, so you have to set up the waiting room for the dumb security protocols. I see Chris waiting to get in. I let him in. The very first words out of his mouth are, Well, aren't you gorgeous? <laughs> well, my, Mr. Demakes, you've got me all aflutter here. Did not expect that disarming an opening. And from there, I mean, that just set a perfect tone for the conversation that we had. You know, I asked him questions about losing streak and about in with the crowd. That one came up again, as it did with Vinny. And about Silver Linings and about the Pick It Up Ska documentary and writing custom songs and everything that I asked him. He was more than willing and more than happy to talk about and engage with. And, man, what a guy. Like, what a generous guy with his fans and with media and with whoever else. Because here we are. We're all stuck at home. We're all trying to find things that bring us joy. And I can tell you, Less Than Jake has consistently brought me joy in 2020 more than just about anything else in pop culture. And I'll tell you why. One, they have a brand new album called Silver Linings and it'll melt your face clean off. It stands up to any other Less Than Jake album that they've put out. Number two is Krista Makes a Podcast. Now, I say this in the episode. In addition to this show, I also produce three other shows for clients. I love producing these shows. They're fantastic shows. Podcast producing is fun and it's very fulfilling and I enjoy the hell out of it. With that said, it can be exhausting. And it doesn't leave me a lot of time for podcast listening for pleasure. Because let's face it, the last thing I want to do after spending a big chunk of my day with big blocks of audio is spend more time with big blocks of audio. But Chris DeMakes a Podcast is one I make time for every week. I love it. It's fantastic. Third, he's got a brand new book. It's called Blast from the Past. I'm working my way through it. It's phenomenal. It's a lot of fun. It's a trip down memory lane. And fourth, Less Than Jake did a live stream concert. It was called Late Night with Less Than Jake. I bought it with some friends. I got a t-shirt with it, which, which coincidentally, arrived the day that I started editing this podcast. So just to get in the proper spirit of things, I threw it on like a true dork, like a real nerd. I regret nothing. It's a fantastic shirt. It was a fantastic concert. And by the way, I'd just like to give a shout to one of the bands they featured before they did their actual performance in earnest. It was a band called Plasma Canvas, who I'd never heard before. Apparently, they're out of Fort Collins, and they are phenomenal. So if you're looking for new music, if you like punk rock, Plasma Canvas is unreal. They are fantastic. So quick plug for them. They're terrific. But my bottom line point here is, in times where we need to find joy, and when a lot of our usual avenues for doing so are closed, how do we do that? And a related question to that is sometimes people will ask me how I get people of prominence on this show. Like last year, I had Ryan Spielborgs on the show. I've had Drew McGarry on twice. This episode features Chris DeMakes from Less Than Jake. You know what the secret is? There's two things to it, and they're very, very simple. One, ask. Seriously, people can't say yes until you ask the question. Give people an opportunity to say yes. And the second thing, make a quality product. Be proud of what you do. Do something that is worth consideration, that is worth someone else's time. If you build it up properly, and if you dedicate yourself to what you're doing, you can accomplish great things. So give people the chance to say yes and build a quality product. Be proud of what you do. Put some time, put some effort, put in the sweat to it. And you know what? Great things will happen. And you get episodes like this one that I'm immensely proud of and thrilled to do. Because Krista makes, man, what a guy. I will follow virtually anything he does from this point forward. That's enough yakking for me. If you're new to the show, thank you for being here. As I mentioned, this is episode number 278. You can go back in my archives. If you're into music, I've got interviews with Jello B. Offer from the Dead Kennedys, Jose Prieto from Make War, Jake Kiley from Strung Out, and I've got people from all across pop culture. Kyle Gass from Tenacious D, who's best known as being Jerry from Parks and Recreation. And then entrepreneurs, business people, non-profit folks, comedians. I've had two out of the three growlicks, Adam Caton Holland and Ben Roy. I've also had comedian Sam Talent on the show. I guarantee you, you will find something you like. So hit that subscribe button on iTunes or on Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you're listening on. Brand new episodes come directly to you every Wednesday, or you can find all 278 episodes on john of that's J O N of all click on an episode. There'll be a search bar on the right hand side of the page. I'm sure you'll find something you like. So thank you for listening. That's enough talk from me. Right up front, let's get to this week's episode. Number 278 features Chris DeMakes. He's an author. He's a podcaster. He's a custom songwriter. We spend a bunch of time talking about that. And he's best known as one of the lead singers and a guitarist for Less Than Jake, one of my all-time favorite bands, coming up on 30 years of existence. It's amazing. What a time to be alive. And his episode starts right now.
0: For me, it literally was, I've uh, just been, uh, been really lucky to be in a band that is is still doing this. You know, I, I can't think of many people that could say with a straight face that, you know, I knew my band would still be going almost 30 years later. I don't think anybody would know that. And certainly the reasons I started the band weren't even for a career. It was just, I liked playing music with my friends. And if we could get a couple beers out of it, then I win, you yeah. know, and this thing just snowballed and it kept going. I was always fulfilled by the band completely. Um, I was always uh, hesitant about doing side projects. I never did them. Um, I've only been in Less Than Jake. That's the only band I've ever been in. I had no aspirations of, of anything outside of the band, mostly due to the fact that besides that I was satisfied and and we work our asses off, we're still on the road as as much as bands way younger than us. So for me if I was going to dedicate my time to something, I needed to have time to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like that kind of person, all your eggs Mm -hmm. in one basket and, uh, you know, coming home for two weeks or three weeks and then, you know, Hey, we're leaving again. That's hard to get momentum for me to, to, to dive into a project and being on the road there, there are certain things you can do and work on the road, but being home, being in my studio and actually getting things done, you know, I just, and, and being able to focus. So, You know, this is the first time I've ever had this amount of time away from the band in 28 years. Uh, so that's, that's the real reason that I ventured out. It's not like all of a sudden, well, what happened to Chris? He's all of a sudden doing all this stuff. It was, I've had a lot of ideas and things that I wanted to do, but, um, I didn't have time, so much time to do it and and the dedication to it. And I was still fulfilled by what Less than Jake's done.
1: Wow. Uh, what an answer. And so this is Chris DeMakes, co lead singer. And guitarist for Lesson Jake, one of my favorite bands of all time. And I can tell you, I want to give you just a little bit of origin story, and I'm sure you get this all the time from fans. But when I was 15 years old, uh, I was listening to grunge, I was listening to metal, you know, I was into Metallica and Bush and things like that. I was in the back of someone's car, and they put on, I believe it was Mustard Plug. And I go, what is this? This is amazing. What, like, what is this music? I need more of it. I went down to my local record store, and it was Mustard Plug, it was Less Than Jake Losing Streak, it was The Boss Tones, it was Real Big Fish, and Save Ferris. I just I picked up a batch of them. Losing Streak was one that I didn't leave my CD player for months as soon as I listened to it. And it hit me like a freight train. It was exactly what I wanted. It was exactly what I needed. And I've been a fan of you guys ever
0: since. Well, thank you. And I hate when that happens, when the CD player would break and you couldn't get the CD out. That's why it was in there for five months. <laughs> no,
1: No. this one was wholly a choice. <laughs> and it, it's funny because I heard you on another show. I think it was uh, Kyle Meredith with.
0: It was Kyle Meredith. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. It, he did a great job, by the way, because he asked a bunch of stuff that I wanted to ask. So instead of doing that, I'm going to point people to that show and, and listen to that in addition to this one. But we're at 25 years of losing streak. And I was listening to it the other day. I still know every word to every song on that album. And so I I gave a challenge to my wife. I said, pick a track at random. I'll bet I can sing along to it. Where does losing streak fit in for you, for you guys in your, as you look back on your career, where does that one sit?
0: You know, it was a very special record because it was our first major label album. And it's funny, you know, (laughs) I don't know where the money went. We spent a hundred, we had a hundred thousand dollar budget on that record and, (laughs) And wow. it, it's pretty much a, it sounds like a demo to me now, you know, it's really <laughs> raw. There's not many uh, major label albums that were coming out that sound like losing streaks. So if back in the nineties, there was, you know, if you signed to a major, there was yeah. this whole stupid cry of sellout bullshit that I never bought into. But, um, people had a hard time calling us that even, you know, because they listened to the record and go, there's nothing, there's nothing, you know, uh, glossy or pop or, or anything about this. This is a punk rock record, For you know, sure. so I'm proud of it for, for what it is. You know, it's, it's, uh, one of those things where, you know, I don't go down the road and, and, and blast losing streak while I'm driving around. Well, no. Uh, <laughs> and, but you leave that, you leave, that, you leave of,
1: that to people like me. That's, that's yeah. Well, that's what I know, still do.
0: You know, I, I lived those songs and I still live them. I get to play them live, you know? So yeah, that record was a, you know, is a huge part of us and just great, great memories. I mean, we were we were firing on all, on all cylinders. We were just killing it. We were playing hell back in those days. There'd be 14, 15, 16, 17 shows in a row. Okay. And then we'd have a day off, and the only reason that we had a day off is cuz we had to go between Denver and St. Louis and you had to have a day off cuz you couldn't <laughs> get there. You know, so you'd be trapped in a van all day driving and then you'd pick right back up. Um, we were just doing it, you know, and we were playing with all our favorite bands, which ended up being our friends. You know, uh, suicide machines, slapstick, mu three thirty, you know, descendants. So it was, uh, it was a, you know, for lack of a better word, a magical time.
1: For sure. Talking about the production on losing streak, uh, it was pointed out to me. Are you aware of? There's, there's a thing out there, and I can't remember if this originated with you guys or not. But the thirty day lesson Jake song challenge.
0: I don't, re- <clears throat> I don't recall. No. Uh,
1: okay, so this is something that floated around online that we picked up on, and it's thirty different prompts. And you share it on your social media page, uh, you know, like day one, pick your favorite song from Anthem. You know, day two, your favorite song that Roger sings, you know, whatever. Like, so there's all these different prompts. And the last day is write about your favorite song. And so mine is actually sugar in your gas tank. And it was pointed out to me, I'd never noticed this before, but <laughs> speaking about the production, Roger's voice cracks on the who needs it anyway. And the fact that that made it in is, is almost like endearing and gives you guys cred against that backlash against selling out, which I thought was yeah, so was interesting.
0: Going, yeah, he was going through puberty when we made Lucy Street.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, congrats to him. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that certainly speaks to what you're talking about. You know, the fact that, you know, it's a little bit shaggier. It's a little bit more sort of, uh, rough and tumble. I didn't know it was a major label kind of thing. I didn't care because the album just ripped from start to finish, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, it was
0: just unbridled energy. I mean, a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, the drums and the bass were live off the floor. You know, I did guitar overdubs. Johnny Quest was live. That was us playing, playing live.
1: Oh, Jesus. Um, that's so
0: awesome. You know. Yeah. So like that, that was what, that was just us playing live and, and the producer. And this is before, uh, you know, Pro Tools and computers. So it was straight tape. That's what, what wow. you hear. That's what we, that's what we sounded like, you know. So the, the main, the main difference, and we didn't, we didn't, uh, do the record to a, to a metronome, a click track. So that's just us, you know, click, Vinny clicking off and us playing those songs. So that's what we sounded like. And I think that that energy in, in, is, is what people are still attracted to and they like about it. But one thing about Losing Streak we did take time was on the vocals. The vocals sound a lot better than Pezcore because we had oh, that sure, yeah. that luxury of time. But they're not tuned. There was no Pro Tools to tune the vocals. It's There's, you know, like you said, uh, crack notes and, and stuff here and there. But it was really about the vibe. If the vibe, you know, that's what our producer was about at the time. He wanted to capture what we sounded like. He wasn't trying to make us sound like something else. And that happened on the record after that. That happened on Rockview when we got Howard Benson. Because Howard yeah. was an arranger, a composer.
1: Great and, episode um, of the show, by the way. That one was one of my favorites, the one with Howard Benson. That that was phenomenal. Yeah, you know,
0: so you, so you heard it and I and I, I talked about everything that happened with that record. It was, you know, we really learned how to play on that album. Yeah. Because when we crafted those songs, we heard them back, it was like, holy shit, I g I gotta learn I have to learn how to sing like that now. <laughs> right. um, so I was really thankful for that record, thankful for Pro Tools and thankful for tuning vocals because that made me really have to uh, to be better. And Roger,
1: uh, absolutely. It, you know, it's funny. I've heard you say many times that you recognize Listen Jake as a legacy band. You know, you have all this history, and I mean, I just gushed over Losing Streak for the last several minutes. But you know, the murderers row from core to Losing Streak to Rockview to Borders and Boundaries to Anthem, just that all right in a row is just a phenomenal lineup. But I say that because I've been listening to Silver Linings lately and I think Silver Linings holds up against any of those records. Um, and, and the fact that Thanks. you guys are still creating something at such a high quality all these years later is just a real tribute to, to you all and the artistry which you create.
0: Thanks. Yeah. You know, we're, we have, uh, it's not one person steering the ship. So nothing gets by anybody. If it's not good enough, you know, we're, um, you know, and, and not every song's great. You know, we've certainly released songs that aren't as good as other songs, but that's that's part of the journey. I mean, if you go back to, to listen to any band, the, you know, they can't have all. And, and not to mention, even some bands' worst song is better than, you know, other bands' <laughs> best songs. So it's all subjective. Right.
1: You know, it's it's funny. This is the, the second Less Than Jake-related interview uh, that I've done. I did one with your former drummer, Vinny, your friend who you started the band with. And we ended up talking a lot about In With The Out Crowd, which, you know, as far as Listen, Jake fans, is probably one of the ones that's maligned a little bit more than the others. And Vinny had an insight that caused me to go back and listen to it that I happen to agree with quite a bit, and that is he likes the songs on there and thinks the songs are strong but doesn't like some of the production choices. Do you have feelings about that uh, insight?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, history has rewritten itself with that record because people like it now. And the reason people <laughs> like it now is because, you know, people in the band were going through divorces, We had gone through loss at that point. Sure. And our fans hadn't gone through divorces and loss yet. And much like, you know, when we put out Borders, people didn't like it initially. I mean, you know, it wasn't like, didn't like it overall, but there was naysayers. This isn't like Rockview. This isn't like Pezcore. And it wasn't.
1: No, that's true. Uh, Same
0: same thing with Anthem. People didn't get it. You know, there was cries. I remember when that came out, there was cries of, there's not enough horns in this record. You know, it was just like, okay, but did you listen to the fucking songs? Like, you know, like... The song, there's there's songs that are undeniable, horns or not, you know. So, like, that's kind of me, like going. There's not enough guitar solos in this record. There's not enough Roger vocals in this record. Well, did you listen to the songs? Or (laughs) that's what it all boils down down to to me. So, as far as a song on um, "In With the Out Crowd," like mostly memories.
1: Oh, that song's a face melter, man. That song's great, yeah.
0: But you know, there was Howard had put this organ in there that he played because Howard Benson did that record too. And it was just like really louder than the horns. And that was a mix issue when it went to to, to the mixing. And that song had the production quality of the rest of the record where that song should have been maybe a little, uh, maybe a little bit more punky and a little looser. But as far as production, go listen to hopeless case and tell me that that song isn't perfect. song's a fucking, that's the best song I've ever sang in my life in this band. Wow. Bar none, bar none. My vocal take on that is Flawless, the way howard put that together in my in, in my opinion yeah i also feel hopeless case i've said this on record before and i'll go on again if green day blink matchbox 20 fucking you name it whatever band third eye blind did that song today it would be a hit wow the song's a hit is that- so my my recollection of outcrowd is is i think maybe different than the other guys it was just that was part of our journey I wouldn't change a thing with that record.
1: Wow, is that a challenge? Like, because people have this notion about who Less Than Jake is, and you know, they they want to maybe put you in a box. Like, hey, you know, Anthem doesn't have enough horns on it, so they have this picture in their head what Less Than Jake should sound like. Do you ever kind of bristle against that? Do you want to like push a little further in other directions, or are you are you comfortable with who Less Than Jake is and in, in the feedback yeah. you get from fans?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, again, everyone has an opinion and, you know, we listen to our fans to a degree, but at the end of the day, you have to do what feels right for you. A lot of the people that scream the loudest are the ones that don't know the history of the band. Go back and listen to our first seven inch. You know, there's only a sax part on one song on there. We were a three piece punk band that started getting into bands with horns. And that's when we got the horn section, you know? So We've had plenty of songs on records that don't have horns, not because for any other reason than this song just didn't feel like it needed horns. Um, There's only one on the new record, the song Bill. You know, there there could have been horn parts on it, but it just didn't feel like it needed it. You know, so I always go by what the song needs. But yeah, as far as being comfortable with who we are, I mean, you know, we we stand by our decisions. We all get in there and and analyze the songs together and and try to make it uh, feel right for everybody.
1: I love that song, Bill, too. Another great episode of the show. That one, that was an intense one. Yeah. I mean, most definitely the, the most emotional one. And and Bill Stevenson is very near and dear to my heart because I went to Colorado State University, got my two degrees from there. And so Fort Collins, you know, where the blasting room is, Bill's there. Carl Alvarez lives up there. And so anytime anyone talks about Bill Stevenson or the blasting room, I'm all ears because, you know, that's that's my backyard, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you're hosting, I, I know from hosting my own show, you, you, you're not always sure what you're going to get. Did you have any sense for the weight of what Bill was going to share with you on that episode when he talked about his song?
0: No, because, you know, I, I've known Bill for a long time. And as I said in the in the episode, I knew about his father. I knew, you know, I lived it, essentially. We were out on tour with all when his dad was sick and he was you know, essentially, uh, you know, near, near the very end of his life. So I knew the backstory. Um, I knew that it would be maybe a little melancholy or sad at points, but I had no idea. I think that it was cathartic for Bill. I think that, that he had that bottled up for a long time and he wasn't really, you know, Bill has a huge heart. He is one of the kindest, uh, sweetest persons, but um, he comes off with a hard exterior. He's just kind of got this kind of look about him and, you know, Bill for the longest time, I didn't even know if he liked less than Jake or like me. He's just kind of <laughs> this brooding force, you know, this brood of a man. And, um, when you get to know him and you peel back that, that exterior, he's, uh, just the kindest, sweetest man. He's, he's obviously got a huge heart and, and those feelings came pouring out. I think too, that, that I put him at ease cause he's known me forever. He knew that I knew the story and I think the way that I conducted the you know, the talk with him kind of just I think a switch happened with him. He even said it when I had called him, I mentioned this in the episode, I called him afterwards. You I had texted him, then I called him. I said, Are You sure you want me to run this And its entirety? We can edit stuff out, like when you got visibly, you know, emotional. Yeah, yeah. He's like, No, I want you to run it. I want the story to be told. And I think that He got it out there. I think if he went on your podcast or someone else's, you know, uh, show tomorrow and talked about the same songs, I don't think he would get emotional again. I could be wrong, but I I think that he got it out on, on my show.
1: No, I agree. I just want to say your show is I, I produce, I, so I have my show and then I produce three other shows. I don't have a lot of time in my life for podcasts for pleasure. Yours is one I always make time for. And I know it was pitched to you by your producer Chris, is that right? He he's like you need that, to do a podcast.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Did he sort of have a sense because you never know how someone's going to be at conducting an interview. And I know you've said it's not an interview per se, but you have a real feel for the flow of a conversation. Um is that something that came naturally to you or are you cultivating that skill uh, as you do more of these?
0: Well, I'm definitely cultivating the skill. I go back and and uh, you know, critique my episodes on myself only because I'm trying to take out things like um uh uh it's very difficult to do radio it's not easy uh I feel like I have uh, some natural ability to it in college my my major was telecommunications so I always thought I was going to go into radio I worked for the radio station at the University of Florida for a while and I would do the weather report on there and, you know, <laughs> weather's well, going to be 50 degrees tonight coming out of the east in Gainesville, uh, low of 32. So, you know, I kind of had this thing. And I used to joke around and make cassette tapes as kids of pretending like I was a radio guy. And, and I grew up with the radio. You know, that, w- that was my internet, was, was the radio. So I certainly studied it and I emulated it. And, you know, I, I have uh, some natural ability with it, but I'm definitely trying to improve. You know, you listen to guys – like, uh, Dax Shepard, Joe Rogan, Howard Stern, they are perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that didn't, they didn't learn that in one episode. They have, you know, so for me, the talk and the discussion, there, there's no nerves with it or anything. It's kind of like me being a performer, you know, I've, I, i i am not afraid of that. And that's a lot of it mentally for people is like, oh, I got to talk to somebody, yeah. you know, that or hearing my own voice recorded or any of those firsts for people that are scary. None of that's scary for me. It's, Recognizing that I'm not a radio guy. I'm a guy in a band that's trying to be a radio guy. I have a lot of work to do. I, I know that I, I mean, I even go back to my first episode with John Felden and I can hear how green I am with that and how I've improved since then. So Uh I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to get better.
1: Well, you're, you're a man after my own heart because I did college radio too. Uh, we hosted the bipolar show. It was the punk and ska show on Friday nights. If I call it up, if I, if I get into a certain rhythm, you know, I can say stuff like 90.5 KCSU, your radio, you're joining us Friday night, Johnny X and Casey, you've got less than Jake, you just heard sugar in your gas tank coming up next is, and so like you can get into that and that's such yes. a weird rhythm because it's an, it's an unnatural way of talking. Whereas podcasting is, it's more of a conversation, but It's kind of a heightened sensibility. You want it to sound perfect because if you're listening to it and if you left it kind of as is, you know, people don't know. Or I guess I've mentioned it a few times that I do some light editing on this. I just clean it up.
0: Oh, Chris edits the shit out of me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But but that but but, not not for
1: content, but for aesthetic.
0: Yeah, right, right.
1: So I, I think people sometimes fail to recognize that because when you're listening in your ears, it's a much different sensation than having a normal conversation, which is a little bit more elliptical and circuitous and kind of winding, whereas this is a little bit more directed and more targeted. And you're right. It takes time to get used to that.
0: Yeah, I want to I want to bridge the gap between, hey, this is 93.5, KSLU. <laughs> yes. I want to bridge the gap between that and having a ragtag conversation. I want it to be somewhere in the middle. I want Chris to be able to do about 15% less editing on me. You know, that, that's where I want to get, you know, I'm, and it, it's always that last 10 or 15%. I don't care if it's a song, whatever you do for work, it's that extra little bit that makes it great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny after doing that 30 day less than Jake song challenge and then you launch the podcast, the new album comes out. You've got a book going. You did late night with less than Jake. I have had less than Jake on the brain. From the fall to present, it's been a band that I've thought of a lot. And in addition to this, so... It's what nightmares are made of.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, speak for yourself,
1: buddy. Uh, It's been a thin slice of heaven for me. But uh, I also recently watched uh, Pick It Up, the documentary about Ska in the 90s, which you were a participant in. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that experience because I really enjoyed that. I thought it was extremely well put together and me and my two little, you know, rude boy friends, we got together, we watched it over Zoom so we could talk about it. And man, seeing bands that I haven't thought of in a while like Kamuri, who is one of my favorite bands of all time. God, they are just so great. And they-
0: I'm gonna have Fumi on my show soon. I'm gonna ask him. Really? Yeah.
1: Fantastic. That's uh, oh, that's gonna be a good one.
0: I wanna get him on.
1: Tell me a little bit about, uh, the experience of making that and have you seen it and what do you, what do you think about it?
0: I was sent the DVD, uh, from the fine folks that pick it up. (laughs) I know it's probably on YouTube. I have not watched it yet. I just haven't, uh, haven't had a a chance to sit down and and do it.
1: Well, also you Uh, lived it. I mean, so
0: (laughs) I I was going to say that that's part of it. Why I'm not so excited to jump in and do it because I, I lived it, you know, and, uh, I kind of know what the movie's going to be about. There's not much that's going to be in there where I'm like, "Oh, wow, I didn't know that." So that's part of it. But maybe, you know, one of these days I'll get around to watching it. Uh, I got the phone call from um, they used to call her uh, Jeff the girl from Five Iron Frenzy, <laughs> and uh, her name is Leonor. And uh, Leonore hit me up. She was one of the people that was uh, uh, producing and uh, filming and putting putting the. Uh, Together, we were at Back to the Beach, the festival, and I want to say 2018 in California. Right, and she had. I'm trying to think when. I think it was prior. Yeah, it was before we had. We had arranged. We knew. I think Les and Jake was playing at like three, three or three thirty that day. So they came down to the venue. Uh, they had rented an Airbnb like a mile down the road. They knew all, all the bands at Back to the Beach. A lot of them were ska bands and you know, ska punk bands. So they picked me up, I think ten thirty. We filmed uh, from like eleven till twelve noon at this house. They just brought me down there and they uh, you know asked me whatever they asked me and and uh, basically just I just regaled stories of of that time period.
1: You know, one of the insights, and I think this was you who said it, that by ninety nine Ska was kind of dead, and like it wasn't the scene that it was, even just a couple of years prior. That was one part where we all actually paused it and we go, was it really? Because we were all still, like we were still the kids going to the shows and I think the very first time I saw you guys live, it took me forever to see you, I don't know why, it was just one of those things where you'd have a concert, I'd miss it, whatever, right? It was annoying. <laughs> first time I saw you was in Denver, you were touring with Bad Religion and Hot Water Music, and you played DU Magnus Arena. Do you, <laughs> it, it's, I know I'm like, I'm asking you to, Remember what you had for breakfast in like 2002 at this point.
0: No, 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 I, I remember everything. If you, I don't know if you saw my book, like the stories in there are all right. from my, all from, all from my noggin. No, I mean, I, I just, yeah, I have like that weird, useless information. Of course, I remember the tour, uh, vividly. Yeah.
1: Uh, it, cause that, that was the first time I saw you. It was the first time I saw Bad Religion too. And man, I, I don't know that I've been more excited for a show because, You were one of the last bands at that time that I was dying to see and finally did. So I remember standing there going, oh, my God, like these guys who have rocked my stereo so many times are actually going to be in front of me playing these songs. That was that was mind-blowing. But that was 2002. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, from your perspective, where you stood on stage, how was it different in, say, like, 96 when it was super hot or 97 or whenever versus you know, after ska was no longer kind of the, the in vogue thing.
0: Well, and I, I, I think I was misunderstood in that, in that, uh, and, and, you know, of course there was editing that went on. I don't, I don't know exactly what my quote was, but right. what I was referring to was the, major label feeding frenzy of ska okay it wasn't the hardcore fans okay the hardcore fans and there was people that got into ska because it was on mtv for a second that were dressing in checkerboards for a year and then the next year they they grew their bangs out were putting on guy liner and they weren't at the next thing but people such as yourselves they were they were hardcore and they stuck around so it wasn't dead so much in 99 but we saw the writing on the wall you know as a band I've always said that journalists have to label you a certain way, the media, to be able to sell you. Uh, hey, there's a band coming to town. What do they sound like? Oh, they're a metal band. Oh, they're a, a you know, a funk band. Oh, they're a, a ska punk band. So, you know, yeah, we have upstroke guitar. Yeah, we have some faster punk songs. But when you peel away the the punk exterior, listen to the vocal harmonies. We're a pop band. You know, I, I, and, and people would argue that, but you know, we, we come across as this thing. Yeah. We're ska, we're punk, but there's pop sensibilities there. And I always knew that. And not to say that we were better than other bands, but I always felt like if we stay in this box of just playing with ska bands or just playing with punk bands, that there's going to be diminishing returns. And early on, I mean, in 2000, we took a tour with Bon Jovi. We went out with them a couple years later, we went out with, and you know, you could say they, they started out as a punk band, but by this time they were a mainstream pop band. Mainstream pop band was Good Charlotte. We went on a Good yeah. Charlotte Newfound Glory tour. We went out with Linkin Park and Corn and Snoop Dogg and the Used and us doing amphitheaters wow. in well, 2004. Was
1: that like family values? Project Revolution. Project Revolution, right. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we were playing, you know, with whoever we could. You know, and that kind of goes back to our very early days as a band. I mean, it wasn't just, I mean, in Florida, there wasn't many ska and punk bands. We were playing with grunge bands and le- leftover eighties heavy metal bands that were still around. Like a show was a show. We'd jump on, we'd jump on any bills. So we were never afraid to mix it up. So, you know, getting back to the original question by 99, you know, bands were getting dropped. Yeah. You know, ska was hot for two years. It was kind of like the swing fad. You know, it was hot for two years and that's just the way that it is. But. You know, to our core, we were always so much more than just a ska or just a punk band. We were just, we were a rock band that had a, had a horn section.
1: Totally. The first lesson, so at that show, when you played with Bad Religion, I had, I bought my first Lesson Jake shirt and it was red. It, it was like yellow. It was like a three panel kind of deal. There was like someone crowd surfing, guitars, and then on the back, it had three words. It said pop, punk, metal. And I go, yeah. all right, that's cool. Like, and so because I thought of you guys as a ska band, but I go, oh, no, you know what? And it was pointed out to me that a lot of the sound that I like, I watched the Fat Records documentary as well. It was punk cut with like some metal sensibility. And I found that with you guys and the boss tones in particular, there's there's pop elements, there's metal elements. And that that keeps it fresh to me, you know, because I always find new kind of layers and nuances when I'm listening to old stuff and even your new stuff.
0: Well, you know, and a lot of bands wanted to, to shy away from the ska tag when it wasn't in vogue or in fashion. The only time, even to this day, that, that I shy away from the ska tag, that's like the last thing I would call us. You know, I would, I would more so call us punk, pop punk, rock or metal, you know, and only metal in, in spirit. In right, some sure. Of the sure. But why I put ska on the back burner for us is because I have a tremendous respect for traditional ska bands. You know, Desmond Decker, The Specials, you know, English beat, those bands that came way before us that were traditional, true ska bands. Yes, we took elements of that, but I could never play like those guys. I could never sing like that and play that smooth. That's a different feel. I took elements from that, much like I took elements from certain punk bands I liked or or metal riffs and different things. So to say we're just a heavy metal band is like, what are you talking about? I (laughs) I would never say that. So we're an amalgamation of all these things. At the end of the day, we're a three-piece uh Power trio with a horn section. That's, you know, with, with ska influences and punk influences and all the other stuff. So that's why I've been shy about, you know, holding on to that ska thing for us because, um, out of respect for the, those that came before us.
1: Yeah. Well, that makes good sense to me. As I was thinking about those live shows and, you know, as I was prepping for this interview, I think I've seen you guys probably at least 10 or 12 times and every show is different. I mean, I remember the Price is Right themed. Uh, live show that you guys did with, with the big wheel that was really, really fun. You come out dressed like Bob Barker. You know, it was Bob Boner, I guess. Bob. (laughs) (laughs) My, my apologies not to impugn (laughs) your good work there.
0: (laughs) But But you said you researched this interview. Come on, John.
1: (laughs) Yeah, get on it. This is amateur hour. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I was thinking about how high energy those shows are and I was watching Late Night with Less Than Jake, my my friend and I, we bought that, we watched it. We oddly enough, we watched it the same night as uh, as the Bouncing Souls. Uh, they they did a live one too, and theirs was a much different flavor. It was a little bit more downbeat, a little bit more melancholy. Late Night with Less Than Jake was very up, very like good time. I'm happy we watched the Souls one first and then yours because we ended the night, uh, you know, a little bit more upbeat during this COVID deal that we're all dealing with. But one of the things that, that stuck out to me, one was an insight and the second was a question. The first was w- watching Buddy run around and mug and sing along, like, you know, when he's not playing his horn. I go, yep, that, I'm at home now. This is a less than Jake show. Cause if Buddy's not running around on the stage, then what's happening here? You know, something feels off. But it reminded me, you know, you guys have been a band for 30 years and your show is so high energy and your, your music is so up tempo and, you know, aggressive. How is recovery for you after a show now after all these years? And and how do you kind of handle self-care coming down from a very high energy experience like that?
0: Well, I mean, you know, you you learn what not to do over time. You know, I'm not out till four in the morning drinking anymore. I I do CrossFit three days a week. <laughs> there you go. So, um just those types of things, you know, I uh I'll, I'll, I I like to eat like shit. So now I eat like shit, like one, one or two days a week versus <laughs> all, all seven days a week, you know? So really it's about, uh, you know, lots of water intake, sleep, diet, and exercise for me as, as I get older. So, you know, and, and like I said, doing those things that, you know, used to be like, Oh, you know, everywhere we go, it's still like, every night is Friday when you have friends come out. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, like it could be a Tuesday night in, in Milwaukee and your friends are like, dude, let's go rage. <laughs> it's like, you know what? And, and raging these days might just be come back to the bus, you know, to, to hang out and talk for a little bit. Let's hang out. And <laughs> there's times when I have to look at my friends, dear friends and go, I got to catch up with you next time. You know, maybe I'm feeling my voice wearing down a little bit, or I just need to mentally go back to the bus or back to the hotel and just kind of decompress. So You know, I didn't used to run like that. I was on 11 all the time. So, uh, you know, getting older for me, uh, it's actually, I've, I've said this the past probably four or five years have been easier on me than the previous 10 years to that because well into my thirties, I was still running like I was 21 because my brain was telling me, let's go, you know, and, and, uh, that wasn't even so much from a standpoint of, of drinking. It was just, uh, or partying. It was, it was just staying up late, just, ooh, Fan, fans are all the time bringing us boxes of donuts and shit on the bus. And it's just like, you know, oh cool, I'm going to have a, my third crawler this morning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I can't do that anymore, man. I'm getting older, you know.
1: When I, uh, when I saw you guys, uh, in Grand Junction when you were touring with Face to Face, Grand Junction is where you ended the tour. And, uh, me and my friends all went in on a bottle of whiskey for you guys. So yeah, I mean, I understand that. Like you, there's the, there's these bands that you just love and you want to, express your appreciation even beyond coming to the show and buying tickets and buying merch and things like that. And so, right. so I mean, yeah, that's got to be weird. It's got to be so easy to indulge. And I suppose I just never really thought about that in any real depth.
0: Yeah, you know, it's uh, there, there's all day leading up to this show, and there's this energy and thought, and then you get on stage and you explode. And then you come down off that, and... You know, there's just this crazy ebb and flow of, of road life and you're trying to, uh, you know, ultimately stay healthy through it. Because in in the old days when you're younger, you're invincible. So it's like, okay, yeah, I'm still hungover, but okay, give me that whiskey. and You yeah. take a shot or two, get back on stage and do it again. And that uh, stops working as well. <laughs> and uh, I approach it now kind of like an athlete. I used to play sports. It's really about preserving yourself till the next game. You know, it's like, yeah. ooh, my left ankle hurts. I'm gonna ice it tonight. Versus, I'm gonna go to the bar and do ten shots tonight, or you know, or I'm gonna stay up all night with my friends and uh, talking till four in the morning when I know my voice is is, is tired. So uh, it's just being a little, a little more more self aware and knowing ultimately that, yeah, I, I used to be able to get away with it when I was 28 or you know 32, being able to kind of like, I don't know, maybe fool the audience. I don't want to fool the audience. I want to go up there and, and, and kill it every night and do my, do my best. They paid hard earned money to see us play.
1: Yeah. I've, uh, I, I've never walked away from a Lesson Jake show going, eh, that was underwhelming. I'm always like, God, that was so fun. I can't wait till they come back again. Couple of things here. One, I always ask this to any band I interview. How is Denver for you guys as a market?
0: Amazing. I think I talk about it in my book. One of the first places we ever played it was called the Mercury Cafe. Hell yeah. And, um, that would have been back in late 95. Okay. Early, early 96 that we played there for the first time. Denver had a built-in ska scene. So it was, it was literally San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, Portland. And then that was West Coast. And then the next closest place, it was Denver, Phoenix, Vegas, huh. those three places. And then you'd get East. And it wasn't until you hit Chicago, Detroit, you know, there was a lot of Midwest places that just, you know, uh, St. Louis caught up and had, had a great scene. Yeah, like MU-330 but...
1: was out of there, weren't they?
0: Correct, correct. Yeah. But I'm speaking early on for oh, us. sure, the yeah. Fir- the first time we ever went to Denver, we played to three or 400 kids. First <laughs> time.
1: Wow. Yeah, and I remember you guys did uh, your New Year's Eve show here uh, leading into, I think that was December 31st, 2018.
0: Summit Hall, correct. That's right, yeah. I was at that show. Had an, It used to be called The Lodo, where we played with All and the Bouncing Souls back in
1: 1998. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm sorry I missed that one. Holy hell. But I, I was thinking, there are three things I really love. One is punk and ska music. One is professional wrestling. Another is uh, stand-up comedy. And the common thread between the three of them is kind of this road dog mentality. This, you're always grinding, you're always going to different cities, and there are things that, that come along with that. What I know now, what I've heard anecdotally from wrestlers, is their bodies are healing a little bit more because they're not on the road, be, simply because they can't be. And so this is, I, I can't wait to see what happens when we're in the after, which who knows when that's going to be, because concerts are going to be one of the last things to come back. But I cannot wait to see the energy and the youthfulness that everyone has from all this time not grinding the way that you, you previously had to.
0: There's going to be some sore ass middle-aged people for that first show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for sure. And I, I cannot wait for it to be, you know, surrounded by, you know, people who have wearing hoodies that smell like cigarettes and, you know, just being in that environment, just that sweaty, sweltering club where everyone's shouting along. That's, I mean, that, that's the thing I miss most right now.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, um, you know, no, nobody has a, uh, fortunately has a crystal ball. So no one knows when it's going to come back. And I, I actually stopped thinking about it. You know, I it probably, probably six months ago, I realized uh, pretty early on that, uh, this wasn't coming back anytime soon. And, um, I like to be proved wrong the order that I get, and I know that, that, uh, that when I was younger, I, I, thought I knew more than I do. Um, would you say you think mind? you know it all? <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> but i <I'm> bump, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, uh, I hope, I hope I'm wrong, but, uh, I think it's going to be a long time before I go back and play a live yep. show to, to a venue of a uh, thousand people. So that's, uh, really why I'm, you know, doing what I can in the confines of the band and we, we're doing what we can uh, outside of being on the road in front of people but um, I'm, I'm looking towards uh, a number of other things that stuff I've already been doing plus other projects I'm looking to get involved with um, to continue to uh, you know stay busy ultimately outside of it because uh, my gut feeling is this uh, this isn't good
1: no i I agree, and I try not to think about it too much, but sometimes it hits me and it washes over me, and i can 't ignore it um, and I also thank you for indulging my terrible cheesy
0: joke I loved it i loved it perfect yeah no i i i i'm I'm optimistic of what I can control you know and uh again i hope i hope i'm wrong i what i hate seeing, and I, I'm cautious, and I told the band this, that I just, I don't want to keep putting tickets on sale for, hey, we got a, a, a tour this October, and then the fans are let down again. You know, I, I, I'm i very cautious about that now, because until it's wide open, and we can do this, um, that, that's the other thing. There's talks about, oh, well, venues are going to open up at 35% capacity. I'm just like, I'm not interested, you know? I'm not mm-hmm. interested, because how am I going to take, the, how are we going to take this show on the road? And we have overhead, we have you know, uh, tour vehicles and, and crew we have to pay. And, uh, we, we can't play three shows in one day to make up for, uh,
1: <laughs> Oh, that'd be, that'd be brutal. Yeah.
0: Um. so I don't know. I don't know how it's going to pan out. I, I hope to, I guess my point is is not to be a naysayer, but I'm trying to be realistic and at the same time positive. You yeah. know, I can't, I can't control control that. I think everybody, uh, want, wants it to go back to what it was, but, uh, n- nobody knows.
1: Right. It's impossible to know. You have stayed busy. You have the book. You have the new album. You have the podcast. And you're doing custom songs. And I just want to talk about that for a second because you did one for my friend Roland. And he he shared it with his network. It was for his 10-year anniversary with his wife. It was uh, – the the chorus was basically – Is his last
0: name Ducote?
1: Yeah, uh, Ducati.
0: Ducati, yeah.
1: Yeah, it looks like Ducote. Hey,
0: I – I remember everything and I've done about 150 custom songs now, so.
1: Yeah, that one, uh, and the theme was it's a, it's not a sprint, but a marathon because, you know, they were into running and stuff like that. The thing that struck me so much about this, Chris, was the specificity you worked into this song. You referenced a bunch of different breweries they love to go to and there was just such a level of detail, I, and I'm curious about your process for writing each one of these. You said you've done 150 of them,
0: something like that. Now, yeah, I think I'm up up around maybe I, I don't I haven't counted in a while. Maybe one 141, 142, something like that. Wow. <laughs>
1: um, and you, from from what Roland told me, you were a dream to work with. Uh, you turned it very fast, and what you turned out was was very specific and very like exactly what he was looking for. So. I'm curious uh, in terms of the songwriting process, uh, you know, h- how does that work for you?
0: Well, it's kind of got it down to a science. You know, I, I have a, a detailed email that I put together that uh, is, is very, you know, down to the minute details. I, I have a questionnaire of, of exactly what you want the song to be about, who it's for, or, you know, uh, nicknames for each other. If it's a love song, you know, what were your favorite things to do growing up? There's a whole list of things. And, then I get it back and they tell me what kind of song they want. I want a rock song or I want a punk song or I want a ballad or a ska song. And then I, um, just get in and, and, uh, the, the, the actual song is, is the quick part. I'll just throw out an idea. Just, okay, this is going to be the verse. And I just boom. I, I'll write the song within 15, 20 minutes every time. Just boom. Get the template of the chords, of the chords down. And then once that happens, then the work comes in of, OK, now I got to figure out how I want to say all of this and get all their favorite bars or get all their favorite, you know, uh,
1: things to do and, and all that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then then I'll get that and then I'll, I'll start working on the melody. And then from that point, uh, you know, just start building other parts and OK, here's where I want to another guitar to come in in the chorus and just, you know, that's where the fun, the fun happens, but it's, it's all individualized. Every person, every song is unique to that person and, it, and it's personal. And that's, that's what, uh, that's what people love about it. That's awesome, man.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, you've been doing a great job of staying busy. I adore your work. Uh, I can't wait to read the book. I have not picked it up yet, but I look forward to the podcast every Monday. I'm digging the hell out of silver linings and man, this is a real pleasure because less than Jake means so much to me and the work that you do, and I'm just thrilled that I get to feature you. So thank you for taking the time, Chris.
0: I appreciate it, John. Thank you. And uh, you know, we'll uh, hopefully see you at a show sooner than later.
1: No kidding. Before you go, um, this is the part on the show where we do plugs. Where can people find you? Anything you want to plug, please do it now.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So if you'd like a custom song, you can write me at uh, makes at gmail.com. Uh, I host Chris Makes, a podcast It comes out every Monday. It's a songwriting podcast. Uh, every week I have a featured guest. Uh, pick a defining song from their career to discuss, critique, and analyze during the show. It's really informative and fun. Um, in conjunction uh, with the custom songs, I also do one-on-one live Zoom video consultations. If you'd like me to collaborate on a song with you, produce a song for your band, uh, a- answer uh, general uh, uh, you know music business questions or how you can uh, build your uh, social media presence, etc., I'm, I'm uh, able to do that. Um, and uh, again, you can Email me at kristamakesgmail.com for that. Uh, check out my YouTube page. Uh, go to kristamakes.com. Uh, and that there's a ton of cool, cool stuff on my YouTube page. And, uh, go to kristamakesabook.com if you would like to, uh, buy my book and, uh, check that out. There's all kinds of stuff that, uh, bundles with the book. I got a calendar, a 2021 calendar. I got a poster uh there's a seven inch i've released uh, some solo songs that it's going to culminate in a full solo record uh, in, in about a year and a half When i keep doing uh doing a two song seven inch every couple of months and when it's all said and done i'll have a record i'm on instagram at less than chris d i'm on twitter at less than chris and uh, facebook chris the makes official and i'll shut up now <laughs> this is going to be the
1: spammiest looking companion blog piece and show notes ever with all those links but i will include them all Find them at johnofalltrades.us or podcatchers everywhere. Krista Makes, man, what a pleasure. What a thrill. I wish you nothing but continued success.
0: Thanks, John. All, all my best to you, too. Thank you so much. And last one out of Liberty City,
1: burn it to the ground because this week's episode is over. Big thanks to Krista Makes. What a guy, man. What a sweetheart. It was so fun to talk to him, gain all the insights about so many aspects of his career. I'm thrilled that I got to bring it to you. So... We left you a bunch of links at the back end of that episode so you can find them in the show notes on whatever podcatcher you're listening on. Whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, something else, or at the companion blog piece at johnofalltrades.us. If you are listening on iTunes, Stitcher, or one of those podcatchers, please leave us a rating, leave us a review, and hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. You can also stay up with me on social. J O A T pod is the handle. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. Episode previews are exclusive to Facebook. Those go up on Mondays. Pay some love to our sponsor, Four Degrees, the number four D E G R E dot E S. Anything you're doing online, Four Degrees can help you do it better. You're building an audience, building a coalition, getting some messaging out about your good, service, candidate or campaign, 4 Degrees will help you optimize that message and get it on the platforms where the people who need to see it most are number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-L-M dot i I'm out of here for this week. I'm riding high. What a fun episode. I've had great guests more coming. Cannot wait to bring them to you. So I will see you back here next week with a brand new episode. Until I hear you again, say good night, Gracie.
0: That's good, Johnny.